We've evolved to know that we're more likely to be successful and to survive if we're members of a group. And so we're so fine-tuned to look for signs of exclusion. And then comes along cell phones. And then comes along what uh, you may have read in my book that uh, we kind of made famous was this idea of fubbing. Hi, everyone. This is Ross, your host of Bear Crawl with Dads. So true confession, I'm completely leveraging this podcast for personal and selfish reasons. You see, not too long ago, I became a dad for the very first time, but with that, an older dad. So the one thing that I know so far is that this bear crawl as a dad is not meant to be done alone. We truly need each other. So may this podcast be that for you. So come along and let's bear crawl together. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bear Crawl with Dads. And we are so glad that you uh, decided to tune in to listen. Uh, tonight, I am beyond excited and honored to have uh, somebody very, very special to talk to us. You know, one thing that over the last several interviews that I've had with dads, one thing that pops up a lot is, is screen time, uh, dealing with their children, dealing maybe with a spouse, but just that addiction to the screen. So tonight, we are very honored to have Dr. James Roberts, who is a well-known author with approximately 75 articles um, published in academic literature. He's currently a professor of marketing and the W.A. Mays Professor of Entrepreneurship at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, where he's been a faculty member since 1991. The accolades about Dr. Roberts just goes on and on, so I will include the link to more of, of who he is and all of his work, because um, it's quite extensive. Everything from appearing in ABC World News Tonight to New York Times, USA Today articles, Wall Street Journals, you name it, he's probably been there. And also to one of his books that I've just finished reading is Too Much of a Good Thing, Are You Addicted to Your Smartphone? Um, and again, I'll have the link to the book there in the show notes. But Dr. Roberts, welcome. Well, good evening, Ross. How are you today? I'm great. I'm great. It's been a long day at school, but it is nice to end this with a nice conversation with you. So I really appreciate it. I know you are a very, very busy man. And so for you just to even entertain me to be on, <laughs> on the podcast, it really, really means a lot. And, you know, Dr. Roberts, like I was saying earlier, I've interviewed and talked, spoken with at least so far, you know, the podcast is relatively new, but about seven to eight fathers. And Several themes that have kind of popped up that have been consistent is the screen time and just how do you tackle that? How do you just battle that? I want to dive in a little bit more into the show with you about that and kind of pick your brain. But before we do that, tell the audience just a little bit more about you. And rumor has it, you're a father. That I am. I guess I hold that as my proudest title. I'm sad as my proudest title. I, uh, have enjoyed being a father. That doesn't mean it come without its challenges, but I'm the daughter to uh, two, what I'll call grown children, 24 and 26 years old. And uh, and so, yeah, but we're all growing and moving forward no matter what age we are. But yeah, my again, my proudest title is dad. Well, that absolutely. And w- would it be safe to say that you've walked what you're preaching? <laughs> you know, there's not such thing as a perfect spouse or a perfect father or mother, but, um, you know, I've done my best. And as humans, that's all we can do. Absolutely. Well, you know, part of the bear crawl for dads, it's really to encourage fathers out there, uh, whether they're new dads like myself or dads that have, like you that have had grown children that are out there, professionals, 
to encourage dads, just let them know that, hey, you're not alone. We're all in this together. So what I'm excited about this interview and this conversation is it's a little bit of a different. We're going to kind of identify kind of a major, you know, some major problems or concerns that dads and, of course, parents have. And then maybe some solutions at the end that they can take some notes and maybe put those into practice. But a couple of questions real quick, just a little bit about you, if I may, to kind of probe. What was your relationship like with your father or what were some advice or some things that you kind of gleaned from your father and how that impacted you as a dad? Um, again, you know, I'm 62. So my dad is pretty much from the old school of parenting. So it was a little different perspective on parenting growing up. But my dad was, I think, a little bit ahead of his time. But um, it was more, you know, kind of, you know, lead by example, not as much hands-on and involvement in your children's lives as we do today. But I was the exception in that my dad and I both sh- uh, shared a love of sports. Okay. And my dad was a, a college basketball player. And I was, uh, you know, again, this uh, a fairly accomplished player in both high school and college. And so we really had that to share. And so my dad found something that he loved that uh, he shared with me. And so we spent a lot of time outside shooting baskets and then, you know, I'm talking and, you know, you forget how much socializing you do when you share an event like that. And then again, my dad, because he loved sports so much, uh, you know, he went to all my games. I was headed advice on how I could do better and uh, was very proud of my accomplishments on the hard court. And so that was a special bond that my dad and I had. And uh, and I really cherished that memory of him and you know, just felt so good about the pride he had through my accomplishments. And so, yeah, he was the old school dad. And uh, my favorite story, I always tell the story about, you know, kind of to give you an idea how maybe parenting has changed over the generations. As I remember as a young child, oh, I was probably eight, 10, years old and we were playing in the uh, front yards with my brothers, I'm sure. And I skinned my knee mm-hmm. and I go up to my dad and I go, dad, dad, I skinned my knee. And without skipping a beat, my dad goes, well, what do you want me to do? Rub dirt in it? <laughs> <laughs> and did you? Uh, no, you know, so the, the, point, the point of all that was it was it was tough love. And, you know, really, right. when I look back, that was just a message that kids need to hear that we need to be self-reliant. And so what my dad was basically saying was, well, fix it, right? If something's wrong, fix it. And it was really kind of getting back to the second half of your question was really that kind of self-reliance that my dad taught me was that, hey, no one else is going to do it. You need to do it for yourself. And so I think I gained from him that kind of can-do attitude Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, that we should always put our best foot forward, you know, and uh, and be respectful of people. And certainly back in that day, respectful of elders that we teach, that we treated our, uh, not only our parents, but anyone older than us with the respect that they deserved. And so, yeah, I learned a lot of you know, stick to hard work, respect for others from my dad. So yeah, a lot of great lessons. And and again, that's not to say that we you know, looking at this with wide eyes wide open that that he wasn't a perfect father. And like sure. none of us are because, you know, we're not perfect as humans. But, you know, he really tried his best and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, did a good job raising my, my two brothers and then later my two half sisters. 
Well, Dr. Roberts, just from your accomplishments alone, I think uh, your your father did well. Yeah, you thank are you. Quite a a legacy in, in honoring him, and thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being open and vulnerable about that. And I think that's so great to hear about the self, uh, just that kind of that reliance and um, kind of those things that I think we really need there today. And it's neat though that your connection was through sports. I think it's you know maybe a father son relationship. It's like how do we connect with our dads? And um, sometimes you end up picking up their interests or hobbies because you want that connection. Um, you know, my father, I kind of fell into a love of exercise and staying in in shape because my dad and I. One of our ways to connect was exercising together or going to the local YMCA. I remember vividly going and working out with my dad, and he used to be a marathon runner before his Achilles heel problems, starting the Galveston marathon. And, and so just wanting to be like my dad, I wanted to run and, you know, and so just that connection. So, yeah, well, and then of course, Ross and your listeners wouldn't know, but I know your dad well, and he's kept up that love of exercise, you know, into his, uh, what, how old your dad, the late eighties. Well, he's listening to this. So I want to keep that. Uh, let's just, we might have to edit that out. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but I didn't know that about you. We can talk about that later. I didn't know that you played at the college level for basketball. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I, that's really I did, neat. I did my best. And again, it was, you know, a lot of it was because I was just, I loved the sport because, the, uh, you know, the the way it made my dad proud of me, right? I love it. Uh, yeah. Allowed us to spend time together. And uh, yeah, it was just really kind of a love of both the sport and uh, the fact that I was kind of ca- carrying on the legacy that he had begun. Kind of segueing a little bit eventually as we're kind of ebbing into the main you know, top of conversation tonight to help, you know, dads and, and parents out there. But with you as a dad, um, and again, this is maybe you personally with your daughters, or does this translate to more of a macro view of just kind of what you're seeing? Because you you are on the front lines um, with college kids. I mean, right there with 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, and with technology. But So maybe I could assume possibly what your answer might be, but what were your greatest challenges as a dad and... Also, what do you see as the biggest challenges facing dads today or now? Yeah, they're you know, as a dad of of daughters, and it's 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 different to sons. And to say what the hardest one, there is hard. You know, um, I think I think all of us feel a little bit of frustration of not being able to be the total protectors of our children, right? To, you know, to manage their lives. And I think, you know, we call that the helicopter parent. And and I think that's what my father was trying to get at. He says, you know, you really need to take responsibility, you know, for your decisions and for what happens to you and what you want to accomplish in life. And so I think one, you know, bit of advice I see or have learned as a parent is, you know, we have to instill in our children the confidence that they can do what they need to do and then kind of let them do it. And what that means is there's going to be a few of those skin knees along the way mm-hmm. and we just can't you know jump in as parents you know sometimes they gotta work out their problems with their friends but with our advice you know we were always there with advice but a lot of times you know we wouldn't talk to the the, the children's other children's parents or we wouldn't you know involve ourselves directly in some of the issues they might be confronting at school or with their friends but we we're always there with help with uh support and advice well, that's, you know, it's interesting to say that. And uh, again, that's, it's, that's another thing that's really popped up with a lot of dads that I've, I've spoken with already is, is that kind of the ebb and flow. And when do you step in? When do you not step in? When mm-hmm. do you know they're going to skin their knee, you know, and it's going to hurt, but 
that's the that's the best way that they're going to be able to learn, you know, and and being a, a young dad, it's easy for me to sit there and say, absolutely, they needed that tough love. But, you know, am I really able to put that into practice when I could see maybe he's going to get hurt, you know, whether it's emotionally or physically or whatever that yeah. is. You know, so I appreciate you saying that because I see that that has come up with several dads that I've spoken with is where's that fine line? And also to knowing that we're not bringing our personal junk and our wounds as as from (laughs) our past into how we're working with our children. Because as a teacher, I sometimes have to check myself. Am I bringing wounds Mm -hmm. or am I reacting to a student based on things that I haven't been healed with or I haven't dealt with, right? You bet, 100%. Uh, you know, again, it's almost, you know, we're almost destined if we're not very conscious that we're going to, you know, we're going to make the same mistakes that our parents do because that's where we learn. And we learn right. by, you know, by what we experience and by what we see, you know, modeling, we call that. And so I've been conscious, you know, to try to, you know, do, take the best from what I learned from my parents, my father, and then, um, and use that with my children, but also tried to avoid, you know, some of the things or do some of the things I think my dad could have done better, like, you know, being more involved in, uh, in our lives. And again, I think that's a generational thing, but I also make sure I'm conscious that I'm trying to not make the same mistakes like you said, but we are all destined to uh, make a lot of the same mistakes that uh, we had uh, foisted upon us by our parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. So segueing last question again is what's the macro? What do you think the biggest challenges today facing parents or dads specifically? Again, you're on the front lines. I can't think of a more vibrant place to be than on the college campus. So what do you think the, the the biggest challenge or challenges are? There's a lot of them. Um, you know, of course, my research deals with, you know, technology and how people relate to technology, how they use their technology and the impact that has on their well-being. So clearly, if I had to pick one factor that has changed dramatically since me or even previous or uh, subsequent generations to me didn't have to deal with like the new generation, today's generation have to do is technology and social media. So I think that's really, and, you know, and from my research in the area and, you know, I talked to youth groups and to parents about healthy use of social media and technology. Yeah, I'd have to say universally, the biggest challenge, although we have all kinds of other challenges, the biggest challenge is about managing our use, our children's use of technology. Well, let's jump into it. I know you've written a a book uh, called Shiny Objects and then, uh, you know, the book that I just finished and preparing for our visit, Too Much of a Good Thing, Are You Addicted to Your Smartphone, which I know it was written in 2017, which is recent, but as you know, technology changes daily. So, you know, highlighting some of the things in the book, so many facts and from studies on just number one, addiction, you know, on page 40 state, whether it's drugs, alcohol, exercise, sex, social media is best understood as continuing a behavior despite it's negative consequences for you and others around you. And then again, anything that produces pleasure in our brains can lead to addiction. Um, you do reference uh, Paul Ashley of, of Kansas University, who's a prominent psychologist, states that our smartphones are nothing more than a drug delivery system. Our brains mm-hmm. get a rush of dopamine, feeling of euphoria from sharing personal information with others. So could go on and on about that. So what has changed from, say, the book that you wrote in 2017, or do some of the same principles, are they still prevalent? Oh, yeah, you bet. Social media has 
you know, from 2017 to present has probably, it's leveled off, but it's increased since 2017. So I think the intense nature and kind of all-encompassing nature of, you know, people just teenagers, but even adults, but more so we're talking about our children, young adults, you know, they're just, they're, they're living their life online. You know, they do, you know, they go to school and they do that, but so much time it's spent with what we call computer-mediated communication, right? So we're, we're communicating over the internet, right? And, you know, over social media, which is very different than face-to-face. And so, you know, we can kind of put together on social media kind of what I call a curated self, right? One that's carefully, you know, mm. controlled and carefully constructed to make us put our best foot forward. And so I think one of the big factors that I think your listeners will be interested in is that when your children spend so much time online, what we found is a real strong relationship between length of time or time spent on social media and technology and and well-being or psychologically or physical well-being. And so how we relate to technology, how much we use our on cell phones, on, on social media has a direct impact on our physical well-being, our psychological well-being, our relationships, and also our mental well-being. You know, and that's mm-hmm. psychological. So what am I? Well, what's the four? Oh, and our productivity at school, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. I missed probably the most important one is that, you know, there's as, as mentioned in my book, and I think all of us could understand without even the research to support it, that cell phones and laptops and social media are nothing more than a distraction when it comes to learning. Right. I like to think of uh, learning now as our knowledge is a mile wide, but only a half inch deep. So we've got, you know, kind of we're kind of a trivia based kind of mentality where we all know these little facts and figures, but our easy access to the Internet and social media kind of keeps us from kind of really forming deep understanding of top subjects. We've really lost this kind of instant gratification that we get from social media. We lost the ability to have the self-control needed to do a deep dive into information. It's so, uh, it's just so rich, Dr. Roberts. It's everything you're throwing. I feel we just do such deep dives of this. And, and kind of what you're saying, though, with that age group, one survey that you referenced states that 47% of teens said their social life would be worse without their cell phone and that the average attention span is 8.25 seconds. And <laughs> so just some fascinating thing in that. Again, the research says that the average Americans can't leave his or herself alone for more than 6.5 minutes, checking them up to 150 times a day. So really, you reference the six signs of cell phone addiction. Point number two is like a cellular pacifier, which is so fascinating. And you reference this too, is that that load theory that gets statistics and research say that has found that multitasking causes a drop in your IQ by 10 points, that load theory. <laughs> You know, that you reference. Um, it's just sure. it's it's outstanding. And it again, it's the 2017, but that still has still has to hold true to this day. Right. Oh, you bet. Nothing. Nothing's really changed. And uh, if anything, things have gotten worse because we've increased young people. People overall have increased their time on social media. And again, that's the the difficult aspect to technology. And that's very that's why I very carefully entitled my book too much of a good thing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is this is not some old man sitting here. I mean, I do research. Uh, I told my students this morning, yesterday, actually, on the first day of class, I said, I bet you I'll be the only professor you ever had that have papers published on TikTok and Instagram. <laughs> I you bet know, you got their they, attention. And they, yeah, they were Googling it, 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 as you were saying that. 
Exactly. It did. And so, <laughs> you know, so the point I was making was that we just spend so much time on social media that uh, we have to really be careful because, you know, there's all kinds of evidence, you know, that shows, again, too much of a good thing. So, again, probably back to what I was saying was technology in and of itself is not bad. I kind of make a parallel between it and money. Money in and of itself is not bad. It's how we use the technology or how we use the money that makes it either positive or negative influence on our life. It's something that we struggle to, even though I'm working with elementary school kids, so they haven't necessarily, they can't bring cell phones into the, into the school. So we're not having <laughs> not yet. <laughs> True. We're not battling that yet, but mm-hmm. it's trying to build so much of that, you know, that cooperation, awareness and responsibility and empathy and self-control. And we're trying to really lay that groundwork because as we get them ready for middle school where that cell phone will be introduced, you know, on campus. And, you know, and, and one thing that you said too is that that face-to-face interactions up to 10,000 nonverbal cues are exchanged in the first minute alone. Mm-hmm. And so when we're not having that face-to-face conversation, we're missing out on so many dynamic cues. And obviously with COVID behind masks, you know, with kids, you know, we're seeing a little bit of a ripple effect with some of our kindergartners who were coming to the school for the first time being masked. Just mm-hmm. some social things that we're seeing based on that. So the power of the face-to-face, which you're just not getting, you know, when you're glued to the to the screen. Can you explain a little bit about, you know, in your book on page 13, University of Michigan researchers, you reference it's called cellularitis. And and two things about the prompting and the exclusion. Can you kind of peel that apart a little bit for the audience? Oh, you bet. Yeah. Cellular lightness is really just that the um, cell phone use, technology use is contagious. There's been some great studies, some that I've done, some that others have done that show that um, it's it's a contagion when somebody used their cell phone. Really, when you think about it, it's, you know, we've had thousands of years as human beings to develop. So we are as human beings, our nature is we have what's called a social meter in our brains, which is constantly surveying our environment to see if we're being excluded. Because that's just as human beings, hmm. our primary goal is to be included. And so we are constantly looking for any signs that we may be on the outside, right? And because we've been programmed, we've evolved to know that we're more likely to be successful and to survive if we're members of a group. And so we're so fine tuned to look for signs of exclusion and then comes along cell phones and then comes along what uh, you may have read in my book that uh, we kind of made famous was this idea of fubbing. And so I'll spell that for your listeners, Mm P-H-U-B-B-I-N-G. And that's simply two words put together, phone snubbing. And so I won't ask you or your listeners whether you've been fubbed, but I could ask you, how often are you fubbed? I mean, how often are people excluding you right to your face to attend to their cell phone rather than pay attention to the person in front of them? And so we are fubbed constantly. And we, I do with my uh, research partner, Meredith David, a lot of research about phone use and how it impacts relationships. A lot of it between romantic partners, but also between friends and also more the uh, more germane for your podcast between parents and their children. Okay. I, you know, throughout your book, there's a lot of assessments that you have mm-hmm. where you can do some self-reflecting and fill it out yourself and kind of judge yourself. Is there a place that 
that our listeners can go to take the assessments or, or clearly buy your book to do it? Oh, yeah, you bet. There's a lot of different, you know, kind of self-analytical scales and things like that, involved, including mine, that you can get, you know, you can find for free on the internet. My book has the one that I created, but a lot of the articles that I published also have it. But I really think if we want to make this simple, all we have to do is look at, you know, and kind of monitor our children's uh, technology use, their phone use, their laptop use, they're gaming because gaming is a real problem. I've had uh, a couple friends who were deans, associate deans for undergraduate uh, education, uh, undergraduate programs here in the College of Business at Baylor. And they say for boys, the reason kids drop out nowadays, it used to be, you know, back in the day, it was for drugs and, and drinking. Nowadays, it's for gaming. You know, boys on their games console so much to the exclusion of even personal welfare, even taking care of themselves and showering and eating, but certainly also at the cost of uh, not studying and not getting socially involved in college. So gaming has actually become one of the main reasons why boys drop out of school. Some girls, but mostly boys. And really? so, yeah, there are so many problems that can be caused by phone use that we really have to take a careful look. And so what I suggest to dads is whether it's their sons, I would certainly limit and have, put limits and uh, monitor. I think that's where to start, you know, how much time they're spending. And, you know, there's outcomes that you could look for, you know, are they going out with their friends? Are their grades still good or are their grades declining? Are they showing a lack of interest in family activities? So there are really, you know, without getting too clinical and, you know, and measuring, you know, whether they're right. addicted, I don't think we need to do that. I think we know when we see it, or we can feel when there's a problem. And so I think use your intuition. And if you see your sons or daughters, you know, displaying again, you know, lack of interest in, in, in going out in family activities, uh, declining uh, physical activity, uh, declining grades. And then we, with that attendant uh, increased use in technology, there's probably a problem that we need to address. Well, it's, there's so many layers there to unwrap too, because it's like, you know, maybe, you know, in our society, we're both maybe, you know, I'm assuming if they, whether um, it's a single parent home and, and mom or dad are just working and they don't have the time to monitor or both parents are working. It sounds like you really need as a parent need to be present and you really need to do the work um, almost. I don't say like an investigator, but really tap in to the emotional, social well-being of your child. And to your point, if you're picking up on cues, they're, they're a little bit more reclusive or they're a little bit more, I don't know, just looking for signs that you kind of mentioned, I may need to do a little deep dive or does that resonate? Oh, you bet. hundred percent. Okay. Pardon the pun, but yeah, as a good parent, you can't phone it in. Nicely I like played. I, I thought you'd like that. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can't be a good parent if you're not involved in your children's life. And so, you know, there are there are difficulties, there are obstacles, right? Like you said, you know, single parent uh, families, uh, busy parents, and also don't forget, also parents who are distracted by their own technology. Exactly, exactly. Gosh, that's a whole nother conversation too. You were talking about how your dad was that old school, maybe the tough love, pick up your bootstraps and let's, you know, get in there. And maybe people in our, our group, our genre kind of were almost not revolted, but I don't want to be that stern 
with like my parents were. So I'm going to swing in the opposite direction and lean more towards being more of a friend to my kids. Yeah. Right. And so I'm, I'm going to swing this way. And, and so if there's that swing to where parents are like, well, I don't really want to be the enforcer or the parent. Mm-hmm. I want to be kind of their friend and I don't want to be as hard on them. Well, maybe some things slip through the cracks, mm-hmm. their social media, their gaming, you know? So I wonder if there's a whole element there where it's like, Hey, parents, you're not their friend. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're the parent and you need to set those boundaries. You need to be proactive. hundred percent. Kids, kids don't need another friend. They need a parent. Parents are there to set boundaries. But again, that's like you said, that's what makes this so difficult. It's just like how we relate to money. Parenting is not about, you know, just being the strict totalitarian type perspective or being a totally permissive parent. It's about finding that happy middle ground. Right. And that's what's so difficult because it, you know, it, it's got to be kind of identified by each of us individually. But again, children thrive with boundaries, right? They want to be, 100%. okay, I got to do this and this is what I need to do. And, and, you know, and then you got to have a little, you know, a little bit of a, a gray area in there, but no, children don't need another friend. They need someone who helps guide them through what is becoming an increasingly, and again, with technology and social media, becoming an increasingly difficult path to adulthood. I mean, filled with uh, potential minefields. I know we're talking about gaming. We're talking about tablets. I hate to pick on the cell phone, but how old should a a child be for them to get a cell phone? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and that's the, that, that's the difficult part about cell phones. Like I said, you know, kind of the too much of a good thing. Everyone kind of is buying their kids a cell phone. It used to be anyway. It's even kind of changed. And now people buy their kid a cell phone. So they're not left out socially. And we know how important it is to be felt to be feel feel that you're part of a group and so parents are kind of almost defensively buying smartphone you know, buying phones for their kids because if they're if they don't and their kids the only one without a phone or without access to social media i know some parents monitor will have their law their child a phone because it's you know they can check in and for safety reasons and things like that, but they don't let them have social media. But then those kids are kind of on the outside looking in. I actually wrote a paper with that title is that, you know, their friends are interacting and sometimes late at night and sometimes not in such healthy ways, you know, cyberbullying, mm-hmm. exclusionary kind of practices and things like that. And so they can really be left out of that. And sometimes that sounds almost maybe that's a good thing. But after a while, yeah, the you know, you have to let your kid jump in. But I think, again, starting the age you start at and then once they do have a phone, monitoring very closely, trying to lead by example setting limits. You know, it's easy to, you know, um, have parental controls on phones now that limit the amount of time they spend on particular social media, reporting it directly back to you. So there's a lot of things you can do to kind of allow your child the freedom of a phone, but also at the same time be monitoring and making sure that they use it in a healthy manner. But again, that's hard to do, too, because if kids want to get away with things, they're always one or two steps ahead of their parents technologically. Yes, 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 yes. So it's it, again, it's getting back to just being proactive and maybe getting back to the point of be the parent, not the friend. And uh, whether it's just giving them a cell phone, 
I guess it really is up to the parent and their individual family situation. Yeah. Well, again, and I should say that I didn't mean to avoid an actual answer to your question as far as the age. And I don't know if it really matters about the maturity of the child as much as it matters about just setting kind of a hard date. And I would say at least junior high. I mean, yeah, I don't think you can go much later than junior high. And again, I think with the caveat that when your child gets a phone, they got to know it's a privilege. They've got to know that there's boundaries and limits on the amount of time and how they can use it and that you will be monitoring it. And, you know, I always I uh, mentioned in my book about, you know, put it in writing, have clear kind of expectations for what is expected for them when they use their phone and how much they use their phone and how they use their phone. So I would say to answer your question directly, I'd say I wouldn't even consider anyone getting any kind of smartphone until they're at least in seventh grade. Okay. No, that's fair. That's fair. And I'm not well, the, the maturity of a child, I think, too, is a huge factor, too, because every child's going to be different in their yep. maturity levels. And so the last two questions or, or points is, you know, again, getting back to I'm curious, but the prompting and the exclusion kind of around page 13 in your book, because I wonder how much, you know, does the addiction start because you're trying to avoid social situation or you're masking uncomfortable social situations or it's a it's a crutch or oh i'm sitting here having coffee with my friend they grab their cell phone so i need to grab my cell phone or you walk into a social situation and i feel really awkward i don't know anybody so boom i want to grab my cell phone you know it's so i'm just curious about that element too you know if oh if yeah yeah even college students you know and and, and adults as well you know, use their phone as an escape, right? They're in an uncomfortable situation. You know, that's what they look for. Instead of, you know, saying hi and introducing themselves and doing the kind of old school kind of social graces, we just turn to our phones. And so I see kids, you know, that's just kind of a natural reflex now. And so they're not building up those social skills that that they're eventually in some way, shape or form, unless everyone just goes to where we're all just doing all of our communications over technology. We, we, lear- we need to learn those types of social skills and technology can more often than not, you know, kind of impede the development of those needed social skills. It's just fascinating. And and, and again, coming out of COVID and stuff, it's just that we've lost so much, maybe it's the one-on-one, the face, like I said earlier, the, how much we're just missing out on the nonverbal cues, you know, and then, um, yeah. Oh yeah. You you know, we just, we just miss out on those, you know, those cues that tell us so much about how people are responding. You know, that's why we have so many, you know, kind of blow ups, uh, flare ups on the, on social media, because we miss that, you know, kind of, we can't tell when someone's being sarcastic or making a joke, unless we put 80 emojis on there and things like that. (laughs) And so it is, it's a very difficult way to communicate. And that's, and, and, you know, it's, it can be a way to expand our friend base, but really what we know is computer-mediated friends are what we call a weak uh, links. So whether I'm trying to think of a better, you know, a weak link is just a link where, you know, yeah, we're friends, but if there's anything that comes up that's too difficult, well, then we just break that link. And so computer-mediated communication develops very weak links between friends. Face-to-face uh, friendships where we do things together create much stronger links. So when times get bad, People will work through those difficult times, but we won't do that with friends that we have mainly through uh, 
social media and other community uh, technology. So as we kind of wrap this up a little bit, obviously we've identified, I think all parents, every person knows that this is an issue. You know, I know this is such a crucial, important conversation. And what are some, some advice, some suggestions for dads out there um, to kind of help? You alluded to maybe to some things earlier, but, but, you know, as we're kind of winding down in our conversation, what would you say of words of encouragement or advice that you could share? Yeah. Words of encouragement is that it's a tough battle, but it's a battle worth fighting. Right. These are our children and we want them to become healthy, productive members of society. And it's our job. You know, we we had the children. It's our job to raise the children as best as we can. We're flawed, just like all humans are flawed. But we need to do our best job to support our children. And that means getting involved in all aspects of their life. Technology is important and it's such a dominant part of people's existence now that taking an active involvement in our, in our kids, our sons, our daughters, um, technology use is critical. But I think, again, overarching um, advice to dads is to, you know, just to, to dig deep and, to, you know, get involved, get your hands dirty with your children's lives, you know, make time because this will be, and I can tell you from someone who's had a measure of success in other areas of his life, they don't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. What means most, what will be your kind of defining accomplishment will be how you did as a dad. Your finest or most proud achievement will be your children. And so invest like it. Thank you so much for that. And, and I want the listeners to know, the dads out there know that it's never too late. Start now. Exactly. Um, you know, jump in doubt. It's never too late. Um, every, being, you know, being that I'm an older new dad, so many of my friends and peers um, when my son was born was just like, it goes by so quick. And had I, if I could do it over again, it would be more time with them yep. um, than in the office or more time with them than on the golf links or, yeah. you know, really check yourself when you yourself are on the cell phone. I'll never forget. I was having um, lunch or dinner with a friend of mine um, here in Houston. And we looked over at the table next to us, a father and his two boys, all three of them had their cell phones on. Not one time did they look up at each other and have a conversation. And yeah. it just, it really just, I, I still, this is three or four years ago and I can't get it out of my brain because that's a missed opportunity. And again, a whole nother conversation too, but I feel like generally, and, and when you refer to, again, to your dad and your connection was through basketball and you said how you just shared and y'all talked. And I feel like generally, I'm not sort of stereotype, but is that most, I feel like at least how I opened up and shared was by doing something, not mm -hmm. sitting down and my parents like, how was your day? It's fine. What happened? Nothing. And, but when we did something together, when my dad and I were shooting basketballs in the backyard or throwing the football through that activity, I would start opening up and sharing. And it's almost like, so parents, if you can trick the system a little bit and go out and do something, oftentimes I feel like maybe your child will open up, you know, so to kind of hijack that a little bit. Um, sure. Right? I mean, I read a great story recently in the uh, Wall Street Journal that talked about the connection that a, a son made with his dad through fishing. They both love the act of fishing and they spend time fishing. And of course, with fishing becomes having lunch together and talking about school and about girls and 
all that kind of stuff. So yeah, no matter what the activity is, whether it's sports or reading or movies or whatever uh, shared interest you have, you know, investing in your kid's life, it'll return and uh, measures that uh, work can. And I think my favorite quote about that is that nobody on their deathbed ever wished they spent more time at work. Yeah, that's that's powerful. And 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 we're going to kind of leave it at that, Dr. Roberts, as far as just really, again, encouraging not just dads, but for any uh, parents that are out there uh, or soon to be parents, you know, you can do this and start today, start today. Last thing, is there anything that I haven't asked you or anything through our conversation that has stirred in you that you feel like that needs to be said or you want to share with the audience before we end? That's a good question, Ross. To me, mostly as I was preparing for um, our talk this evening, just about the importance of parenthood. Again, that none of us are perfect and that we will make mistakes and, you know, we'll beat ourselves up over the mistakes. But what I don't think we realize that a lot of the small things and small mistakes we make, our children never even picked up on. And so I remember some of the things, some of the moments where I wasn't at my best with my children. But I don't think those are the things that they remember. I think they what they remember is a dad who loved them and wanted to be part of their life. Love that. Well, Dr. Roberts, we're going to end it right there. And just, uh, again, can't thank you enough. Um, this has been awesome and really have enjoyed this and reading your book. And it's been phenomenal. So really, really can't thank you enough for, for taking the time. Ross, thank you very much. And I can't think of a more important topic. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, thank you so much for just tuning in and um, listening to this conversation. We'll have Dr. Roberts, just information, more information about him and his work in the show notes in in this podcast. So again, just know that uh, it's never too late. Start today. You're not alone and you got this. So again, thank you. And thank you, Dr. Roberts. You bet. Good night. We hope you enjoy this latest episode of Bear Crawl with Dads. From my brother, C.S. Lewis, you can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending.